At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series in Romans. Romans is one of those books that for me was instrumental in my faith journey. My suspicion is that for so many of you, Romans is the same way because Paul's letter to these Christians in Rome, it's almost like the word still today, they reach in and they grab a hold of us and they shake us around a little bit, don't they? And then out comes this changed life, this renewed life. That's what happens. So I'm just going to ask this. If you have not already written me down as like, hey, I should be praying for Pastor Billy as he's prepared. Will you just do that over this coming season? Like, I, and I'm being very sincere right now. I want you to be praying for me. I want you to be praying for the teaching team as we're preparing these messages. Romans 5 through 8, there's a lot of meat there. There is just a lot that we're going to try to cover in about 12 weeks. I want you to pray for yourself as you're praying. I want you to pray for your ears and your heart to be open and receptive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I want you to pray for those who are going to be listening, not just here, but across all of our campuses. Because here's my suspicion, that over the next 12 weeks, when you look around right now and when you look online and see who's online right now, this is all going to look drastically different over the next two to three months. That there's going to be a lot of change as the Lord just continues to do a work in and through us. So be praying for those who would come in and would hear the truth of God's word. So let's take our Bibles and open up to Romans 5 this morning. Romans 5. Well, I mean, we're just like fast forwarding in Romans to some of the juiciest parts, Romans 5 through 8, which means we're kind of skipping chapters 1 through 4. If you're new to the Bible, let me catch you up. Or if you're new to Romans, let me catch you up. In chapter 1, uh, Paul starts out by saying, let me just clarify that God's son, Jesus, who came to this earth, had been promised, had been foretold hundreds of years before. There were prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the rescuer. He moves on in verse number 16, and he says that salvation is for everyone who believes. Salvation is for the Jew. Salvation is for the Gentile. In chapters 2 and 3, we see that because of sin, no one is righteous. Not the Jew who tried to earn righteousness through the law. Not the Gentile who tried to earn righteousness through their morality. No one. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. You know, we live in a world today that tries to make rivalries at every turn, don't we? Like, it's like, yo, you have that zip code and you have that zip code. Well, that means your high school doesn't like their high school. We don't like each other. You know, you like that college and I like this college. Well, that means we can't like each other. We got to have this rivalry. Oh, you like the donkey and I like the elephant. We can't like each other, you know? And so there's all these rivalries at every turn, right? That's getting really, really ugly in today's world. And what we're going to see in the book of Romans is that those rivalries all break down at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the cross. Why? Because we're all sinners. Every single one of us. That brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that God only saves bad people. God only saves 
bad people. Now this, I, I know that sounds so simple, and yet for some of you, that is the obstacle why you've never come to faith in Jesus, right? God only saves bad people. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, why doesn't he save good people too? Did you miss what I just said? We're all sinners. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. The problem is, is we have watered down that word sin way, way more today than at any point in history, I would argue. We've taken that word sin, and here's what, like next month is October. October is Halloween. Halloween is trick-or-treating. So some of you, you're going to do this. You're going to make the kids go out and do all the work, aren't you? They're going to go do all the work. They're going to bring back bags full of candy. You're going to dump it on the table. You're going to take the full-size candy bars, and you're going to go, that's mine, that's mine, and you're going to give them the little baby root. That's what you're going to do, Right? And then you're going to do this. You're going to go, oh, I'm a sinner. What am I going to do? You know, and you laugh about it. You know, we'll, we'll make ourselves that ice cream in the bowl. And you go, mmm, sinfully delicious, you know. And you just, I, I think we make a joke of the word sin today is what we do. And we lose the weight and the gravity of the word. And if you're like, okay, so how would you define sin? Well, look at Romans 3. I know I said Romans 5, but go back just a little bit real fast. Romans 3. Verses 10 through 18, I'm, I'm just going to write here this big piece. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So let me ask this. Have you ever, have you ever said something? I don't want to say lie because, again, I think lie is a word that we water down. And we're like, well, technically it was. Okay. Have you ever spoken something that was less than true? Have you ever said something in a way that kind of tried to make you look a little bit better than you really were in the situation? Or like your organization or someone you cared about? Like you just said it in a way that you're like... Mm, maybe technically it's not a lie, but it certainly wasn't true. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever used your tongue not to be a peacemaker with those around you? But maybe you get sick and tired of being a peacemaker sometimes. Can I be that honest with us this morning? You're like, you get sick and tired of being a peacemaker, and you're like, I just want to tell them what I want to tell them. So I'm going to tell them. I don't care if it causes a fight or not. I'm sick of it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at the Lord and said, Lord, I know, what you're, I know you're calling me to go, but I want to stay. I know you're calling me to stay, but I'm tired of staying. I want to go. Have you ever done that? Like, I just want to do, Lord, what I want to do. I'm tired of trying to be obedient and do whatever it is you want to do. I just want to be selfish for a little. Have you ever done that? You see, I've, I've never encountered the person that says no to every single question I just asked. And I just asked a couple. I've never met the person. We are all sinners. We need a savior. We need a rescuer. We need someone to come, and some of you know what that is. You know what it is to place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and experience a new life. Now, this series is called New-ish. Everything has changed, have you? New-ish. Because you know what I see a lot of times? I see people who say, oh, yeah, I love Jesus, but then their life doesn't reflect that. Their life reflects one of, I still want to live in this muck and this mess of sin. I just want to do what I, I want to be new-ish. Can I just tell you, Jesus didn't come so you could be newish. He came so that you could be healed. He came so that you could be free. He came so that you could experience this complete transformation in your life and you could be made 
new. That's why he came. Church, that's why he came. So let's jump in, and we're going to first look how the war has ended. And access is granted. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. The year is roughly 56, 57 AD, somewhere there. He's never really visited this church, but he's writing to a group of people, most of whom would have been Jewish from their background. Some would have been Gentiles. Most would have been free. Some would have been slaves. So there is some diversity within this church. And when he's writing, he says, therefore, since we've been justified By faith, this is huge, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. The reason that's so important is because the Jewish audience listening to this, the Jewish audience reading this, they would have read this as people who had spent their whole life saying, I'm going to get a right standing with God because I'm circumcised and because I try to follow the law. I'm going to follow the law, and by following the law, I might get this right standing with God. The Gentiles, they would have said, I'm going to get this right standing with God because of, because of my citizenship. Because I'm a citizen of Rome, because I'm a moral person, because I try to be good. I would argue this, that in today's society, in our culture, in the U.S., we're kind of like a hybrid between the two. At least if we're talking in the church. Oftentimes in the church, we have people trying to be be good and follow the rules of the Bible. And so they think that by following that, that then I'm going to get this right standing with God or by just being a good moral person, by being better than some of those people you see on TV, you know, by being better than them, that's going to give me a right standing with God. And Paul says, no, the right standing with God comes through faith in Jesus. So for 12 weeks, we're going to look at the effects of a right standing with God through faith in Jesus. The first one we see here is we're going to have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus. We're going to have a peace. Now, that peace isn't like a peace where you say, all right, I got that doctor appointment on Friday, and if the doctor says what I want the doctor to say, then I'll have a peace. Until then, I'm going to be pretty anxious this week. You know, it's not that kind of a peace. This is a peace like May 7th, 1945, when Germany surrendered. And we had troops standing guard, right? The troops were standing at their post. And then all of a sudden, their commanding officer came in and said, hey, there's now peace. Germany surrendered. So, uh, yeah, you can put your gun down because we got to walk home now. Like, it's a long walk home, and we got to pack up and start going that way, right? There was a peace. It changed everything. It changed what was happening inside. It changed what was happening outside What we see is that the Lord had a relationship with people before Jesus was sent to this earth. In Romans 1, that picture looks like this, Romans 1, 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval 
to those who practice them. Can I just say that's us? That's such a description of our society. Of, of, and when I say our society, I don't just mean those outside the church walls. I mean, that's a description of us today. That's the power of Romans 3. Where Paul says it's in that environment where we are all guilty. It is in that environment that God sent his son Jesus for us. That's the power of the gospel. So, so what does that peace look like? What does it sound like? Well, it sounds like this. It's when you go to God and you're alone in your prayer closet. Or at the end of the service today, it's when just between you and the Lord, you say, Lord, I need to ask for your forgiveness. Haughty, boastful. Yeah, sometimes I can be full of pride. That's what that is, pride, right? Sometimes I'm kind of puffed up. I, I want what I want. I, I know that, Lord. I'm so sorry. Lord, sometimes I'm malicious. I want other people to fail so that I can succeed. Man, that starts to sneak in. Lord, I'm not patient like I should be. Sometimes I'm not a peacemaker with my words or with my hands. I need your forgiveness. And, and here's what peace looks like. The Lord in return will look at you and say, that's what you see, really? You know what I see? I see love. I see life. I see grace in you. You know why I see that? Because you placed your faith in my son Jesus, and that's who Jesus is. And when I look at you, I see Jesus. I don't see all that junk and that funk. That's been thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. You are called to live as Christ, and so that's what I see. That's what peace looks like. Friends, that is what peace looks like. Verse number two, though through Jesus we have also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've obtained access. We have, do you understand? We, have, we, we understand access tonight, don't we? It's a computer world, so it's like you get on that website and you're like www.ineedaccess.com and then you get that little sign that says, what's your password? And you're like, oh, it's probably my password that I use for everything, right? That's what we all do. And so I'm going to use my password I use for everything. And then you hit enter and it's like, mm, that's not the password. What's your mother's maiden name? You're like, oh, yeah, mother's maiden name. I got that. And it's like, what was your dog's name? Your third dog that you ever owned. What was that dog's name? And you're trying to think, I don't know what I put in, but I think I did this. What was the make and model of your first car? You're like, it's getting weird. What's your second, fourth, and sixth number of your social security number? And you're like trying to get it right. And they're like, we just sent you an 18-number password to your cell phone. Check it now. And you check your cell phone, and you put that number in. It says, access tonight. Try again. You're like, ah, oh, you know, you start over. We know access denied. Access granted looks like this. It, it's the... The person who stood in front of a judge and was told, you're guilty. You're going to prison. And so they go to prison. They fire an, a, file an appeal, and the appeal was denied. They file an appeal, it was denied. They file an appeal, and it was denied. And so then they just kind of threw away the key, like you're here for good. There's no more appeals. You're, you're stuck. And all of a sudden, the president of the United States calls and says, hey, I'm granting you a pardon because you can't do it on your own. I'm going to give you a pardon in fact, not only am I going to give you a pardon, I'm going to set it up to where if you ever need anything for the rest of your life, just call me. Here's my cell phone number. Like, you've got total access to me. That's what Jesus did on our behalf. You and I on our own, we are guilty. There's no appeal. There's nothing at all that you or I can do to get out of that. Jesus on our behalf, he paid the penalty once and for all. And because of that, we get access permanently to the Lord. Next, we're going to see how suffering has misfired and hope is alive. Look at verse 3. 
Romans 5.3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice, suffering. Rejoice, suffering. We don't like to put those words together, do we? That's a weird combination. Rejoice, suffering. But isn't it true that it was through Jesus' suffering on the cross that led to the resurrection? And it was the resurrection that led to the new life that we have in Christ. There is rejoicing and suffering that can go together. That's the picture we see here. I think the thing is, is we're scared of suffering. Well, who's responsible for that? Who's responsible for the fear that we experience in suffering? Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It tells us that through the death, Jesus destroys the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, your enemy, the devil, he will use fear to hold you captive. He will use fear over suffering. He will use fear of death to hold you captive. Jesus came to free you from captivity. That You don't have to be afraid of that. And then so as, as Paul's talking here, what he says is he says that that suffering is going to lead to endurance. And it starts this chain reaction. The endurance is going to lead to character. And character then is going to lead to hope that there's a chain reaction. The thing is, is you've seen it lived out, haven't you? You've heard the testimonies from this very stage. You have friends who have been through the worst imaginable situation. They've been through cancer six different times. Right? Their family, they, they've had tragedy within their family. They've lost their job. They've been through financial struggles. They've been through, you know the people who have been through, I've been to prison. I mean, I haven't, but you, you've heard the stories of the people who would say, like, I know you would never even dream of that, but this person would say, like, I, I mean, I've been to prison. I've been that person. And through those stories, what they do is they end up talking about the hope they have in the Lord. And how good the Lord is. And you sit there thinking, how do you do that? And their response is, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. But I'm telling you, as I was going through it, without the Lord, it was one way. But with the Lord, it taught me to endure. Even in the trial, even in the pain, I learned what endurance was about. And I wouldn't have known that without this pain and suffering over here. I wouldn't have known how to really endure. And that endurance took me to a place of having character in my life. And that character is where I really learned the hope of the Lord. I didn't know the hope of the Lord like I know it now. That would be their testimony. In fact, I want you to know that I watch you guys and I see what happens. And I see how within your organizations you're celebrated. How within your workplace you're celebrated. Within the schools you're celebrated. And your bosses oftentimes, they don't even know how to say it like this. They don't. They, they don't say, well, because you're such a strong Christian, and I know that because you took your family Bible and you kaplunked it on your desk. Like, that's how I know you're strong. They don't say that, do they? Here's what they say. What they say is, I've watched this person's life, and as they go through trials, no matter what's going on with the company, man, they endure. They do it with, with a hope that I can't explain. Like, the character of this person is unmatched. That's why I celebrate the work that they do. Right? And when I get one-on-one with you, you say, well, that's the Lord. 
That's the work of the Lord in my life. You're a walking billboard for Romans 5. That's what you're doing. You're living out what Romans 5 says. Now, I didn't come up with this saying, but it's an old saying. It says that Christians are like tea bags. You never know how strong they are until they're placed in hot water. I, I think there's some truth to that. Right? Because, again, I think the default today is for people to say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But, I mean, I can pretty much do whatever it is I want to do. I can live whatever kind of life I want to live. That's not what Paul teaches. It's simply not. Paul teaches that we're going to live a life that shows endurance, a life that shows character, a life that shows hope. That's the kind of life that we're going to live. And then in verse 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is the righteousness of God. There's the righteousness of God and there is the grace and the love of God. The righteousness of God is real. And it was all placed on Jesus on the cross. And because of that, we get the freedom that we read about here in Scripture. There is so much here. Now, how do I know? How do I know that I have that hope? I've had so many conversations with people that ask that very question. Pastor, how do I know? I mean, I, I, I know that Jesus is God's son. Like, I believe that's true. But how do I know that I have that hope? That Paul's talking about. You know, it doesn't matter where I am in the world. I, I can be somewhere in the United States traveling. I can be anywhere on the globe. If my phone rings and I put it to my ear and I hear Amy's voice, she doesn't have to say, Hello, Billy, it's your wife, Amy. I know immediately this is the person who has my best interests at heart more than anyone in this more than anyone in this world. She loves me. More than 25 years ago, we said, for better or for worse, that sickness and in health, all of that, and it was meant. You see, I, I know her voice. No one has to convince me that it's her. How do you know? When I talk about that kind of affinity, affinity with, my, with my wife, if you don't have that same type of affinity with the Lord then you don't have that hope. You might know about the Lord here, but you've never surrendered here, and you're going to miss heaven by 18 inches. You're literally going to miss heaven by 18 inches. You know facts about the Lord, but maybe there's never been surrender in your life to the Lordship of Jesus. You see, what we're reading about is about a new life. What we're reading about is transformation. What we're reading about is the power of the Holy Spirit being poured into you where everything changes and you know the voice of the Lord and you know the hope of the Lord. It doesn't matter what trials you're going through. We don't look for, I don't vote for suffering just so you know. Like I don't, I don't wake up and go, man, I hope I get to go through some suffering today. That'll be so good. And yet I'm not naive. I know that there will be a day that the suffering comes. And I know that when the suffering comes that he is going to be with me. Why? Because he is my Lord, my God. He's never going to leave. He's never going to move. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, church. He is the same God, and I know his voice, and I trust him. And finally, we're going to see that Jesus' death reconciled us, and his life will get us home. Let's finish looking at verse number 6. For while we were still weak, 
At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So who did Jesus die for? Well, the Bible says for the weak, for the ungodly, for the sinners. And then Paul breaks out this illustration. And let's just play with that illustration for a second because I think we've all done it. Like we have, but probably your illustration in your brain is just as ridiculous as mine is. Like, here's my ridiculous illustration. Okay, if a really bad guy broke into my house, like, I mean, bad guy broke into my house and got past my attack poodle, like if that ever happened, you know, would, would I die for my wife? Would I die for my one son? Would I die for that other son? You know, would I? And um, Here's the thing, we all, we all, even though we'll never face that, we all go, yeah, I would, you know, I'm, I would do it for someone I like. The truth is, most of us will never, ever, ever, ever be faced with that. If you're in the military, this is a different question, isn't it? If you're a police officer, this is a different question. Some of the first responders, this is a different question, because this is a reality in their lives, that they might be called upon. They could be called upon to actually have to do this. But most of us in this room, that's not us. That's not the reality of us. So let's turn this illustration upside down a little bit. Let's imagine there's someone who did something real bad, like real bad, where all of the U.S. would agree, like, that was horrific. That was bad, like blow up Oklahoma City, bad. And let's say the judge called you up and said, hey, I'm going to give this person one potential out. I'm going to let them go free if you'll take the gas chamber, electric chair, whatever the form is. Like, if you'll do that instead, I need you there tonight. So if you'll do that instead of them, will you take their place? Well, that's a different question, isn't it? We're going, but they're guilty. They did bad things. No, I'm not taking their place. What a dumb question. No way would I take their place. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, while we were the ones convicted, no way out of it. Because of sin, not eating somebody's candy bar, but I'm talking sin. Because of the sin in our lives, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for us. I think what's hard to consider, though, is there's some people maybe in this room, maybe watching online right now, and you've heard this whole sermon, and yet you're still sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, Jesus came to die for bad people, but I still don't think I'm all that bad. I I just, I need you to hear this. If you're sitting there today thinking, I'm just not that bad, then you've missed everything I've said about sin today, and I I don't think you're really ready to hear about Jesus and the fact that you need Jesus because until you understand the sin in your life, you don't understand that you need a savior. You don't understand that you need a rescuer. So my hope is that tonight you just start to think through and pray through and just say, Lord, will you reveal to me the sin of my own life? If I need a savior, will you show me that? Will you show me that I need a savior? And this morning's not done, so maybe we'll get there this morning For the Jews, they said we're trusting our salvation off of circumcision and off of the law. For the Gentile, they said we're trusting our salvation from our citizenship and from being moral, from being pretty good people, from being better than that person down the road. 
Paul says, neither of those will get you to heaven. It's only through faith in Jesus. And then Romans 5, 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of a son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, there's three times in the passage we've read today that we see this theme of boasting. The word that we see used every time is to rejoice, which makes sense, right? If you boast, you're rejoicing. The first rejoice was we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That was verse number two. We see that we rejoice in our sufferings. We spent a lot of time talking about that, verse number three. And then here we see that we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ. You see, for those who have been saved, for those who have been rescued, we rejoice. That's why we come together on Sundays. We rejoice together. We come together because there's victory in Christ Jesus. That's why we come together. We rejoice. So I want to go back to that courtroom thing. I want you to imagine with me that you're sitting in that courtroom. And behind you is the whitest, cleanest, brightest canvas you've ever seen. And now I want you to imagine that you have a prosecutor in there who goes all the way back to when you were a wee little boy, a wee little girl. And starts to point out every single sin that you've ever committed. And every time they talk about a sin, they take a handful of mud. Can you picture this? And they sling the mud up there on that screen. The first one would be pretty shocking, wouldn't it? And what if they went sin by sin by sin, day after day, week after week, year after year? Picture your canvas. And then at the end, things would get really, really quiet. There is no jury. There's a judge. And the judge turns around, looks at the canvas and says, based on what I see, you're guilty. Because that's us. Every single one of us. Our canvas is disgusting. We're not measured based off of someone else down the road. We're measured on a backdrop of holy I think that's a struggle. Sometimes we look at sin in our lives and we want to rate degrees of sin. No, sin is measured off holy. Sin creates a separation between us and a holy God. But here is the power. That's why they call the gospel the good news. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus Christ, he came And he lived a perfect and sinless life. Which means when that prosecutor stands up with Jesus up there, he's going to stand up and he's going to look at that canvas. He's going to say, and, oh, oh, don't forget. And he would sit down. He's going to be like, I got nothing. There was no sin in him. He was the spotless, perfect lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the whole world. And so when the judge looks at you and says, how do you plead? There's only one response. The only one response that you can give is, I'm free because of Jesus. Nothing I've done. Certainly nothing I've done. I'm free because my faith is in Christ. 
If you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus today, I want you to know that invitation is for one and for all. It does not matter what your background is. It does not matter what you've ever done in this world. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you've been successful or not. It doesn't matter if you got the degree or not. It doesn't matter what the relationships have ever looked like ever in your life. The ground is level at the cross for every single one of us. And you can have the freedom in Christ today. For those of you who have already accepted the freedom of Jesus, we get to live as Christ now. That's what communion reminds us of, isn't it? We get to go on a mission. We come and celebrate on Sunday, but starting tomorrow, church, you're on mission. You're on mission to go make disciples. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're getting to work. You got work to do. Because our world is desperately in need of a Savior. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, sometimes it's so refreshing and so encouraging. And sometimes it is so hard to swallow and to read. And sometimes it's both. Lord, I feel like today has been both. It is encouraging. And yet, Lord, it is convicting at the same time. Lord, I pray for the man or the woman or the teen in this room right now that maybe they've been struggling with what it means to place their faith in you. They believe, they believe in their head that you're God and you're real and that you love us. They believe that Jesus came, but Lord, maybe there's never been a surrender. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we're saved, that we're rescued, that we get a right standing with you. So Lord, I pray for those in this room that that's what needs to happen right now. Will you just continue to draw them to you, to give them the freedom in this space to say, Lord, I surrender all. And for my brothers and sisters in this room, I pray that this series is a catalyst in our faith that pushes us forward. That we're not complacent and just trying to chase after the things of this world. But Lord, we are on mission, chasing the things that you've called us to. To know you and to make you known. Lord, we pray that you are glorified today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Will you stand as we close our morning worshiping together? Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.